the next episode of Nerd Clicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill. It's time for another one of our Westworld episode recaps. And we were going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 6, Face Base. Which, I have to tell you, is the episode where, like, I thought I had a beat on some of the stuff that was going on this season. And now I'm kind of thrown into chaos and uncertainty. And that would be the theme of the entire season. Yeah. <laughs> You've just now caught up. Yeah. Like, I have a very loose grip as to what might be going on, but this particular episode seemed to kind of really throw things through a loop. It did, and I kind of forgot where we were, like, in how many episodes we've seen. And after the episode played, uh, I went back and I was like, wait, what number episode was this? I was like, holy crap, it was only number six. Because after watching this episode and then watching the preview for what's to come, it feels like you're on that precipice of, like, the next one should be like a season finale. But no, we have four more episodes to go. Yeah, and I mean, this is also one of those things where we've reached the point in the show where I'm like, how the hell are these guys going to write their way out of this? Because some of this stuff is so intricate, and it seems to be heading in, in a certain direction. Like, I got the sense that there are some narratives that are getting very close to converging. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, story narratives, not like show narratives, I guess. You yeah, it's it's... Thing, and that's where I'm, I'm feeling that, that whole, like, it feels like we're coming to the end because everything is starting to narrow. And if the next episode were to be the season finale, I would be okay with that. But like I said, oh no, there's four more to go. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening. So this episode kicked off with a scene with Dolores. And Bernard, Arnold, Bernard, <laughs> Bernard, I guess. Yeah, and this is a continuation from the opening scene of this season from episode one. It's shot in that odd aspect ratio where it looks a little bit different. Uh, and of course, now we're seeing continuation of that con conversation. And apparently, it's a fidelity test of... Bernard Arnold. Bernarnold. Yes. <laughs> yeah, given by Dolores. So, uh, yeah, that kind of had me question and thought that it was going one way, but then by the time we got to the end of the episode, now I think of that scene in a different way. And we'll get to yeah. that later on. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, within that scene, basically, you know, Dolores tells him, you know, he didn't talk that way. He wasn't talking about his own agency. Like, essentially, you're seeing that she is trying to coach Bernard into being more like Arnold. That's the big takeaway I got from that opening scene. Right. And I did as well. But I think there's another layer to it because of what happens at the end of the episode. Cool. We'll circle back to that then. Yes. Yeah, stick a uh, pin in then it. We absolutely will. 
So then we go to Teddy as we see him making his way through Sweetwater, heading towards the Mariposa. And kind of a neat little touch here where instead of bending down to pick up the can of evaporated milk, as we've seen him do over and over and over again, this time he leans down and he picks up a bullet off the ground. Cool little symbolic, you know, uh, bit of storytelling there for how he's changing. Yeah, I really liked that touch. That was really nice. And I think this is a really good bit of acting on uh, Cyclops' part, James Marsden, uh, <laughs> Teddy, uh, because you really do see that change in his character as well. He's very different. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that, that having less humanity means that as an actor he has less to do. But at the same time... He has to become an intimidator. He has to become a cold enforcer. And that's, those traits are opposite of Teddy. So he is getting to flex a little bit of acting muscle there. No, he is. And it's, it's not as easy as it would seem. And this is no pun intended, but it works so well is that <laughs> you don't want to seem so cold, whereas you seem robotic. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and and he doesn't. He does a really good job with it. And um, yeah, I I kind of I I kind of like this version of Teddy actually because <laughs> I couldn't he stand. He means I, business. Yeah, I couldn't stand Teddy before. I really didn't care for him. I didn't like the thing between him and Dolores. I was hoping that she was going to get rid of him a couple episodes ago. But I like the dynamic that's happening right now because I like what's happening with him and how Dolores is seeming to respond to it. I find this so much more interesting. Yeah, he does go and shoot the one hostage that they have who apparently works for the park. Uh, he kind of shoots him and you know, basically you get that reaction from Dolores that maybe a little bit of second guessing. Yeah. You get the hunch that maybe there's a little bit of second guessing being done on her part. Now, I got to tell you, that story does not excite me very much. Like, any idea of her second guessing what she's done, I'm not super excited about that potential story. Right. Uh, and plus, too, it's strange that she seems to be second guessing it, but then, like, Angela seems to be, you know, totally on board. She's like, yeah, this is what we're doing. But... Um, even though she seems to be second guessing it, I still find that so much more interesting, um, than before. I just, I just couldn't stand Teddy. Um, but yeah, now he's, he's dangerous and it's almost like you, you don't know how he's going to react, but at the same time, it's like, you have to take it to the extreme. He's going to do the, the worst thing possible and that's how he's going to react so it's like he's right. unpredictable and yet totally predictable if that oxymoron makes sense at all right and i think this is an interesting plan that they have because essentially it's just you know four of them that are going to try to rescue abernathy right you know so they've got this pretty bold plan they're going to take the train ride it up to the mesa snatch abernathy and take off so that's their plan, so we get to see a little bit of that. Uh, we also get a scene with Stubbs and Hale. Uh, basically, they have Abernathy 
And we do get established in this scene with Stubbs and Charlotte Hale that this is seven days after the gala. Right. So we're kind of halfway through the the timeline that we've seen kind of play out throughout the season. Right, that two weeks later. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, as Westworld has been doing all season long, they've really doubled down on the Christian imagery in this scene where they take Abernathy and they, they're trying to keep him, you know, in one place. So they decide that they're just going to bolt him to a chair and, you know, they drive these nails through his body. Very evocative of, you know, Christian imagery in the crucifixion. Right. And I was waiting for them. <laughs> I was waiting for them just to be a little bit too on the nose and actually show them like nailing like through his hands or his feet, but they did the shoulders and the legs presumably maybe hands next because i think after they did his shoulders and both of his legs you can hear that they're nailing down something else but you don't see it i think that's what happens i'm not sure so you know maybe that was like a little wink and a nudge that they're nailing down his hands next instead of overtly showing it but yeah yeah in this scene one more thing that happens here that's kind of interesting even in this brief interaction here we do get to see a little bit of Stubbs having maybe more uh characterization if not anything else like a little more humanity he seems to you know like he asks if bolting down Abernathy is necessary maybe a little bit of humanity coming from Stubbs not that he never had any to begin with but he was always very suspicious of the hosts but now he's seemingly growing more suspicious of human behaviors yeah, I I noticed that as well. I enjoyed that little touch. It's um again, so many little subtleties in a lot of these performances and a lot of things that are are going on here that I mean, especially in this episode, there's some good little nuggets through here and I enjoyed that one as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the the really impressive things about this episode is how much heavy lifting it does. It really pushes where in some episodes they've only had, you know, Maeve and Dolores, and then other episodes, it was just, you know, the man in black and Bernard. This one brought all of their characters in. So they've got all of their key players uh, and and their, all of their storylines moving as well. Well, and one of the things that I've noticed is that the writing of this show, well, I've known this, that the writing of the show is really well, but they know how to push a narrative. They know how to push a story along. And if there's an episode that seems to have stopped in its tracks, like we got, you know, uh, an episode ago when we were all in Shogun World and it didn't really move forward that much, it's like there's a reason for it. Yeah. And and it, it's not as if... I don't know. It's not as if like, oh, this was this was just a throwaway episode. Like, there's nothing on the show that is a throwaway, you know. Right. And it's I've gotten to the point a long time ago, actually. Like, I trust them. I trust where they're going because it's been so solid. And again, yes, now we've we've come together where we have all of the characters being shown in this episode, and it just moved us along so much. Yeah, and I think that the episode last week almost served as kind of the end of one half of the season, because this episode doesn't feel as self-contained as last week's. 
Like last right. week's felt like it had like a beginning, middle, and end kind of with a mild cliffhanger into the next episode. But this one feels like it is a piece of a larger puzzle. Like this one does not offer resolution. As a matter of fact, most of the storylines in this episode do not get completed at all. This kind of reminds me of something that Game of Thrones does from time to time, where they chop up episodes into like a little two episode arc. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think that's is- what we're getting here. No, I totally agree. But one of the things that I really liked about last week's Shogun or Shogun World and into this week's episode, which I know we haven't gotten to that part just yet within this um, episode, I'm jumping ahead a tad, but um, it almost feels as if the Shogun World pieces are almost their own short story. Like it could almost exist outside of this season as its own thing. Like, it feels like a complete little wrapped-in-a-bow story, and I kind of like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And then we do actually make our way to Shogun World next, where we see the aftermath. Unfortunately, we do not get to see Tandy Newton slicing a bunch of motherfuckers into pieces, which I would have loved to have seen. I feel cheated as a viewer that I didn't get to see it. I know! I was looking forward to it so much, but... Again, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but holy crap, we did get a really good fight scene later on. Yes, we do. Um, Now, we do get that aftermath of what's going on in Shogun World. We see Akane cut out Sakura's heart and kind of wrap it in a piece of Maeve's kimono. And that's when we see everybody make their way back to the Shogun World version of the Mariposa is because... Maeve needs to get her crew back, who are all prisoners of Tanaka. Yes. That uh, little bit with taking the heart, that was really dramatic and really moving in in this just horrific and without them being completely grotesque about it. I mean, because they showed her face. They're showing that this is happening. I mean, <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to show her face. You're going to see her move as her heart's being ripped out or something. And I'm glad they didn't do right. that. But um, it was just, it was uh, gut-wrenching. And um, is that like a Japanese tradition or something? Because I, I have not heard of something like that before, like to take the person's heart and burn it. I do not know. I don't believe so, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure kind of where that came from. One yeah. thing that does happen in that scene, and it, well, there are two really excellent examples of it, and we talk about it all the time, but, but Tandy Newton is the master of the micro-expressions. She yes. can tell an entire story with her face, and yep. she does it here as well. There's another spot later on in the episode where we'll talk about it then, but uh, I, I am just, every week stunned at her ability to portray this character. Yeah. Maeve, you you read everything from her. Everything that is going on in her head comes out on her face. It's it's just masterful. It is. And I I I can think of at least two other times in this episode actually um where she is conveying so much on her face that just lends itself to another level above 
I mean, whether or not she has dialogue to speak or not. I mean, there are times where she's not even saying anything, but then there are times where she does have lines and like the way that you see the expression on her face, it just, it, it sells it even more. It's like, man, her choices are so good and are so purposeful. It's amazing. And I know that, um, I don't know if it's going to be before or after this episode that we're going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story where she is in there. She is so underutilized in that movie. <laughs> yes, wasted. Wasted would be a better. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about yeah. that or we have talked about that depending on where you're listening yeah. to this. People can it, listen anyway. to that episode as well. Yeah, I, so I won't go any further. I will talk about that there. But yeah, uh, I'll yeah, I'm I'm at a loss now. She's amazing. So I I do think that this whole uh, scene out front of the Shogun World Mariposa. I don't even know if it actually has a name, but the the whole scene, the whole the whole resolution of this scene ends in this samurai fight and to be honest with you normally i would criticize a show for doing this uh it, this this whole scene is just utter fan service that's all it is this is like okay we've given you some storytelling now we're going to give you a full-on kurosawa style samurai fight right here in broad daylight in the streets no darkness no tricks no you know, keeping everything in the background, no doing it off screen. We denied you of Tandy Newton cutting people up with a katana, but now we're going to give you, you know, a professional actor who knows how to do this shit and in a full-on choreographed samurai fight. Yeah, we're not going to do shaky cam bullshit. We're not going to do a bunch of rapid edits to hide the fact that they aren't doing any of it. Holy Fuck, I loved this scene so much, and I am okay with pure fan service. And I even texted a friend of mine, like, I I didn't watch this episode live. I watched it, you know, later on that evening, and he had already seen it. And I texted him, like, right after that scene. Like, he's, I could just tell he was waiting for me to comment on that fight scene. And I was just like, holy shit. That was amazing. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. it's it. The camera's never in a bad position. You know exactly what's happening. The, it's always the biggest complaint about fight scenes, where it's just a whoosh of you know either blades or you know whatever it is that they're fighting Close with, ups. and you can't, yeah. T- yeah, and you can't tell what's happening. But that's also you know why you have really good actors who have you know, fight choreography skills as well. And I mean, this just looks wonderful. It 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 looks epic and awesome. It has that it has that ancient feel to it as well. It, it's just really really cool. And again, it's utter fan service because within the story, it is so fucking unnecessary. Like, given all of Maeve's power and ability, <laughs> like it's a completely unnecessary scene. Yeah, there's no reason that it should be in there at all, other yeah. than the fact that. It's fan service, and I'm okay with some fan service from time to time. Uh, yeah, this is one of those times. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Uh, so yeah, they, they did finally give us our samurai fight. Maeve lets them fight. She tells Akane, we deserve to choose our own fate, even if that fate is death. Yes. 
So then we roll over to the man in black with his daughter, who is Emily, or and they've called her Grace in the, in the casting for the show, but uh, her name is Emily. And at first, he doesn't really believe that it's her. He thinks that it's Ford trying to trick him, trying to throw, you know, throw him off his game. I was yeah. kind of surprised by that. I was too. I was too, because, I mean, he's, well, I don't know. He's he's seen that that stuff doesn't necessarily work, but I don't know. Maybe it signals just how deep, maybe it just signals how deep in he is. Like, how obsessed he is. Well, and that gets addressed, you know, uh, a few beats after this, you know, and that's one of the things that Emily, you know, is talking to him about, about how he is so into it. And she's giving him these sarcastic lines like, oh, so you do know the difference between here and the real world, you know, and just these little jabs that she throws at him. Yeah. Now, in this earlier scene, it does also show that she's pretty handy with a gun herself. Yeah. So there is a little bit of her, a little bit of her dad in there. I would also think, though, that if she's grown up constantly visiting these parks and she has continued to go, you know, past childhood, you would have to... And, and you would have to have some kind of a skill or you would have to have developed. And I would think that her father would have taught her some of those skills as well. You would think so. so. It's, I'm not surprised by it. I, I wasn't surprised to see it, actually. Right. Uh, we then go to a scene with Bernard and Elsie. I thought this was kind of strange to me because I watched the show with the closed captioning on just so I pick up every line of dialogue. Oh, okay. And the closed captioning kept calling Elsie Hale. They kept calling her, like, basically, like, Charlotte Hale's name. Oh, that's yeah. weird. It was very weird. But, but like, I guess I get so conspiratorial about the show sometimes. It's like, well, maybe they want us to think it's Elsie, but then maybe there's something else going on here. It's probably just a closed captioning fuck up. But uh, it was just kind of a strange <laughs> thing where if, you know, if you were watching with the subtitles on like I do, uh, it could have gotten a bit confusing. But what we get established in the system is that the QA team cannot get control of the park systems. They're trying to go in there. They're trying to get control of the hosts back. But the cradle, which we find, is the actual data center where all of the hosts' backup are stored. The cradle is fighting back. It is resistant to these attempts to gain control. So something is happening. We don't know yet in the episode. But we will find that out later. So it's just kind of a nice little setup scene to tee some of that stuff up. Yeah, the cradle is basically the Matrix. It is. Yes. CR40L. The cradle. Aha. After that, we get another scene with Maeve and Akane. They get back to Sakura's home. Uh, they find the tunnels, Felix and Oscar, and uh, Sizemore, they find the tunnels. And we get the kind of resolution of this whole journey with these characters. Masushi and Akane, they're going to, uh, Musashi and Akane decide they're going to stay. And, um, they're 
Shogun World Armistice, whose name I do not remember. She's going to be going with the rest of the gang, but they're staying behind. And again, it just feels like this whole Shogun World part is like its own little short story, its own little mini series within the series. And I kind of love it. Yeah, it's strange because it's almost as if Akane knows that there is something coming. Like, there's something coming that's coming for all of them. Uh, and I, I don't know if that means anything in the greater context of the show, or if that's just a comment on the virgining consciousness in some of the hosts. I, I really don't know what, what she's referencing there, but, um, you know, essentially it's, it's, her saying that our part in your journey is over. We're going to stay and we're going to have ours. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's it for Shogun world? I don't think that's it for Shogun world, but it may be it for this season. Yeah. You know, I think they're going to broaden this out. I think we'll see all six parks at some point. I don't know when we'll see Shogun world again. I'm pretty sure we may not see Akane and, um, Musashi ever again. Yeah, I I kind of don't want to. I mean, not to say that I didn't like those characters, but to me, I think that would lessen the ending that we got in this episode. Like, I kind of want that to be like, the book has been closed there. Like, you don't need to see any more of that. I don't have a problem going back and visiting Shogun World, but I kind of don't want to see them again. Because I just, I want that to be, you know... The end, and then yeah. that's it. Now, I, I did. Lo- I just love the visuals of like the 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 aesthetics of not just the way the Shogun World looks, but the character design of Akane. Yeah. I think is just gorgeous. She is beautiful, and she has you know just the way that they've got the blood on her outfit, uh, and you know just, I don't know, just her physical appearance is just enchanting in this weird way where. You know, there, there's this kind of, I don't know, this grace, but tragedy. You know, there's just so much going on with the visual appearance of, of her character. Because, see, I even see, you said grace and tragedy and then overwhelming strength. Yeah. Strength and yet the ability to look fragile. I I think just the dichotomy that's that's playing and... and amongst itself within her and and her outward appearance is just so cool and fascinating yeah you know some interesting things i i I think that maybe one of the themes that might be i don't know maybe evident in this episode are motivations of parents and children you know, so I think there's a little bit of that going on here. You know, Akane and, and you know, finally putting to rest Sakura and Maeve and her journey to find her daughter and Dolores and her journey to find her father and the man in black and his uh, yeah. interactions with his own daughter. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of parental relationships that are being explored in yeah. this particular episode. Yeah. So speaking of that, we do then get the scene between the man in black and his daughter. 
So one of the things that's in here that that had a lot of people talking is that the man in black misremembers some aspects of his life with his wife and child where, you know, he thought that his daughter was afraid of the elephants in the Raj, but she tells him, no, that was mom. I love the elephants. Right. And it causes this kind of cognitive dissonance. And that's led to some people saying, well, this just means that that the man in black is actually a host. No. I don't buy that theory at all. No, I don't either. Instead, what I think this actually is, I think this is actually a callback to his interactions with James Delos and their attempts to essentially try to reincarnate James Delos. Like, he, in a weird way, is failing this fidelity test. Right. Well, he's failing a fidelity test, and he's not a host. Like Right, exactly. So maybe, I I think what we might be getting from him is this realization that testing for fidelity may be... um, may be irrelevant because right. even humans don't necessarily get everything exactly the same all the time. I like that. I like that because that would explain on another level his reaction when they're exactly. having this conversation. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I took that more of a realization that, yeah, like, you know what, may, you know, humans, if you were to interview a human, they may not, be able to, may not be able to pass the same fidelity test. And, you know, his own inability to trust his own memories of things. Right. So I think there's, there's a statement being made there. I don't think it's that he's a host. And if that is the implication that people got, that is not, I don't think that is going to be the case at all. You can't do this thing where, like, everybody is a host, you know? Right. Because then it doesn't matter. Like, maybe they can pull that off again somewhere down the line, but the, you can't do it now. The Bernard one was the big reveal, right? Uh, right. So you can't keep doing it. You can't keep going back to that well. And I also don't think it advances the story at all. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's... Um, I don't think that's interesting, because then what? You know, right. it, where does that take you? So, yeah, I don't I, I don't buy that one at all. But I do like the implication that his reaction, he's not necessarily reacting to what his daughter is saying or the fact that he got that wrong. I, I like the idea of him reacting to it on a different level, that it was almost like he had this realization of that's one of the things that we've gotten wrong. You know, when they've right. been doing the all these fidelity tests and whatever, like, that's what we've gotten wrong. Like, him having that epiphany moment. I like that right. a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, that to me is what that scene comes off as, as an epiphany that he has about this whole fidelity test and, and maybe, right. you know, what the nature of humanity may actually be. Now, in this scene, she also tells him that, you know, Charlotte Hale invited her down to, to go to this uh, this event. She decided to come down, hang out at the Raj, kind of do her thing there. 
She wanted to basically try to avoid her father, but then came to tell him that she shouldn't have blamed him for her mother's death. She's trying to reach out to him, trying to get him out of the park. She basically thinks he's trying to commit suicide by robot, which is how she explains it. So she seems to be trying to get her father to come home. Which, at first, I thought that was really interesting because up until this point, she kept saying that she didn't want to get out of there. She didn't want to leave. And now she's like, okay, we're leaving. But then when I watched it again, I'm thinking, well, maybe it was because up until that point, she didn't want to leave because her goal was to find her dad and to get him out. Did that strike you as anything that at all? I I think she has a motivation that's hidden from the audience. Yeah. Because you can say that she's trying to go and rescue her father, and that seems like a very sweet story, and, you know... That's all well and good, but at the same time, we saw that she has a diary, we saw that she has a map, we saw that it has the Delos Research Lab logo on it, so she has a bigger, bigger role in this story than to just be the daughter who's there to get her father to come home. Right, because I don't see their family as being the sweet, sentimental type of family. Right. Well, and, and, and maybe there's truth in what she's saying. I'm not saying that this is a ruse that she's putting on in any way. It certainly could be, but there's probably truth in what she's saying as well. I just think that her story is bigger than I just want to go save my daddy. You know, I, I think there's right. more to her story than that. Uh, I was also going to say that this scene kind of resolves itself in a similar way to the William and Logan scene back in season one, where... You know, after Dolores runs off, William and Logan drink together, and he gets Logan drunk. Logan passes out, and then when Logan wakes up, William's, you know, carved everybody to bits. Oh, that's right. He uses the liquor. He uses alcohol in the same way. Yeah, that's right. I kind of forgot about that. I'm shocked that I did. He gets her to have a few drinks. She probably... Drinks too much, sleeps too deeply, wakes up, everybody's gone. Yeah. Except for that one guy. Except for that one guy. I don't know if they kept him around just to keep a lookout for her, maybe? That's how I took that. Yeah, I did too. It's like, he wasn't a complete dick. He he left somebody behind. Right. So there's, there's a little bit of caring in there. <laughs> but from that scene, I do not get, I don't, I do not believe that he is a host... But nor no. do I also believe that his daughter just wants him to come home. Right. I am with you on that. Stay tuned. I But wait, there's more. I feel. Exactly. Uh, then we go back to Elsie and Bernard in the cradle. Bernard decides he's going to go into the cradle where they put him into that uh, machine thing that, that saws open their heads. They pull out the... the I want to say they're called pearls or chestnuts or yes. something like that in the like those little things <laughs> uh, as soon as you said that i now have chestnuts roasting on an open fire in my head um no they're oh, called nice. pearls <laughs> so wait is okay is the pearl the little ball or is the pearl the casing i think it's the little ball okay so they saw his head open they take that thing out and all of a sudden bernard is now inside the cradle 
So the casing is a cupcake. <laughs> gotcha. So <laughs> Bernard is now inside the cradle because he needs to find out who it is that is manipulating everything from behind the scenes. So we don't get the whole scene here, but we do get Bernard waking up on a train uh, in a, a very similar to the way Teddy did as he's kind of heading towards Sweetwater. He's now plugged into the Matrix. He sure is. Uh, we will get more of that in just a second. Holy we then crap. jump to Stubbs and the extraction team, where this dude comes down with his very impressive accent and his uh, his very impressive confidence, which tells me in no uncertain terms that this man will be dead very soon in this show. <laughs> uh, because cause dudes like that just will not last long in Westworld. And no. I think they've already kind of teed it up in some of the aftermath that we've seen. But yeah, this guy is a dick. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're they're in there to to throw things off. He's like cussing up a storm. He's just a dick to everybody that we've already met. It's like he's in there just for us to hate him and for us to be happy that he's gone. It's like, right. as an actor, if you're going to play a bit role, like, that's the role that you want. If you're just going to be on there for, like, an episode or an episode or two, like, this is the person you want to be. Right. And, of course, they make fun of the fact that Stubbs' first name is Ashley, which I always <laughs> feel like is probably how uh, he gets treated by his brothers at Thanksgiving. He's like this, like, lesser Hemsworth who has these like very famous brothers who probably pick on him all the time. Aww. Now it makes me want to like give him a hug or something. Aww, it's okay. I also think it's funny that he did a scene with Tessa Thompson when it was Tessa Thompson and his brother in Thor Ragnarok. I thought that was kind of yeah. an interesting thing. She, she gets to do scenes with the Hemsworth brothers all the time, I guess. All right, so then we go to Maeve. Maeve is then back home. Uh, she says thanks to Sizemore, actually, which is really interesting. She thanks him, decides to go on this journey to kind of reconnect with her daughter. But we, before we get to that scene of her and her daughter, we get this kind of scene dropped in there of the man in black running into Ghost Nation, which I think is, it's, it's just this very strange little scene that interrupts the flow of Maeve's story. And I'm curious as to why they just have this scene with the man in black all of a sudden being chased by Ghost Nation. Yeah, it's almost like they're showing that there's some uh, there's something happening at the same time, and I don't know what the parallel is yet. So yeah, I guess like we'll this, find out next episode. The editing here suggests almost that these storylines are starting to converge. Like, I started to get this vibe that, like, somehow the man in black was going to end up interacting with Maeve sometime soon. Like, that was just the overall... The story doesn't explicitly say that, but I feel like the editing almost suggests it. Is it... And I'm wondering, too, is it suggesting that they are in the same location? Are they they're nearby each other? I mean, it seems like Ghost Nation is kind of spread out a little bit. But yeah. is that what this is suggesting, too, is that they are within close proximity of each other? Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was strange that you have the scene with Maeve when, you know, she's coming up uh, out of that, you know, grave thing that's actually a tunnel. And she's deciding to go pick up her daughter 
on her own. But then we cut right to the man in black getting chased by Ghost Nation to then go back. It just felt like there was a weird editing choice that was made there. And usually those choices are always intentional and always uh, for the advancement of the narrative. So I'm just curious as to how that ties in. If we get a scene where the man in black and Maeve come across each other, you know, we can look at this little sequence here as maybe the indication that it was going to happen. Yeah, and is a meeting that I've really been looking forward to this whole season. Sure, absolutely. Uh, When we do get the scene of the man in black being chased by Ghost Nation, we cut back to Maeve and her daughter, and... This is the scene that I think Maeve's arc has been building towards, and we've been saying for weeks now that we did not think this was going to go as well as she thought. Yeah. And of course, you know, Maeve has this interaction, she talks to her, then finds out that, boom, she has another mom. Right. And the thing that's great about this, and we talked about Tandy Newton being the master of the micro-expressions, uh, oh my God. when... Her daughter says mama and she runs off. Her expression, uh, Tandy Newton's expression, it just screams. It just screams without her screaming. It is unbelievable. Her face drops. It's like you can see, you can almost see the color drain from her face. The expression drops and her eyebrow goes up just before she turns around and it's like it's so good but even just before this the while she's talking to her daughter the the dialogue is so simplistic there's not much to it whatsoever but the thing that she adds to it are the expression on her face as she delivers not even just each line but each word she it She's mm-hmm. able to give it such weight. And it's yeah. amazing. Amazing. She's She's got a gear that, that a lot of people do not have. I mean, it is really impressive. Really yeah. impressive. She can tell a story without saying a word with just, just facial expressions. She's a master. And it is a joy to watch her play this character every week. It, it's so great. Um, yeah. we, we also have... Ghost Nation seemingly maybe attacking. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. Uh, we still don't know what the hell Ghost Nation is up to. We see that, you know, Maeve's squad, her gang, her Hector and Armistice and Japanese Armistice, they're coming to help <laughs> out. Um, but we don't know necessarily what Ghost Nation's plans are. In fact, uh, the one guy from Ghost Nation, whose name I can never remember, He's saying that we're on the same path. Yeah. And she's like, no chance, man, because all of a sudden she now speaks Lakota, which is a very cool little detail in her character that was teed up in last week's episode. The idea that they could tap into these different languages that they communicate in, all of a sudden she now can speak Lakota. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool touch. Incredibly cool. But Ghost Nation is like Westworld's version of the White Walkers. I mean, although we've heard them talk, but it's like they're on the periphery, but like, you know, there's this bigger something to do with them, but you don't know what it is just yet. It's still so mysterious. And yeah, I'm wondering what that means. What is, are they woke? 
you know, what is, what is their purpose? Like, what is, what is going on with them? And I can't wait to find out. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I've tried to think about what role they serve in this show, but I do not understand it. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that's one of the things that will get revealed to us in these last few episodes. We also see that Felix wants to help out, which I really love. I love the way Felix is ready just to go into battle and help out, whereas Sizemore decides he's going to use that device that he found and try to call for help. Yeah, he's tired of it, and he just wants to get out of there. He doesn't care at all. Doesn't care. He does look like he feels a little guilty, though. A little bit, but not enough to not do it. He's in it for himself. And, I mean, what does this whole scene mean for Maeve's character? I mean, this was her journey, and her journey was to find her daughter, and when she does find her daughter, she finds out that her daughter has another mother. Right. So Maeve's reality is different than this little girl's reality. Right. And I'm curious to see how that's going to affect her. How is... What is she going to do with that information? I mean... Is she going to use her newfound powers to somehow give consciousness or try to tap into the ability to become conscious for her daughter? But, I mean, Mm -hmm. that would be incredibly selfish. Or not. I mean, that would be her freeing her daughter, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in the first episode of this season... In the first episode of this season, we see Dolores ask the question of what we think was assumed was Bernard at the time, or we assumed it was Arnold at the time. I'm already confused. Um, where she said, <laughs> you know, what is real? And he says that which is irreplaceable. But in the eyes of Maeve's daughter, her mother has yeah. been replaced. Right. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how how they move forward with this. I mean, I know that, and you had mentioned that we didn't think that it was going to end well. We didn't think it was going to be a happy reunion. But, you know, now that this reunion has happened, where does it go from there? How does it affect Maeve? Uh, Because, I mean, we've seen her mirror image with the Sakura Akane storyline, how Akane, like, stays back. Like, no, I'm staying here. Her memory's here. I'm not going to move forward. And, right. and, and, and Maeve was trying to, no, we, we have to, we have to make a new home. You know, we're, we need to move on from this. And she respects her decision to do that. But now Maeve is kind of being presented with a similar choice. I'm curious as to how she is going to grapple with that. I don't know how she's going, what she's going to do. And, I mean, you said, where do they go from here? And I'm thinking, like, yes, quite literally, where do they go from here? What was, uh, what was the plan? What was the plan when she found her daughter? They can't stay there. They know how dangerous it is. So, you know, how does this impact that plan? What was that plan? Maeve's arc feels completed, uh, not quite resolved, but now she's got a new arc that she's going to have to start on, I assume. Well, and it also makes me think of, like, Dolores's storyline as well. I mean, Dolores, like, her whole thing is that we're taking it all down and we're going to, we're going to, you know, get out into the real world. It's like, yeah, but then what? You say you're going to take it over, but what does that mean? 
Like right. what you don't have a tangible plan. And right. and now Maeve's plan has come to a screeching halt. Now what does that mean? And I think then would be the perfect place for those storylines to converge, not necessarily Dolores, but for the man in black now to show up. Because then that gives Maeve something else to play off of, because I have a feeling that their reunion is going to be really interesting. So maybe oh, that's absolutely. what's going to drive and, her another way. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, again, we've talked all season long about the parallels between Maeve and Dolores, where you have, you know, Dolores seeking a father, Maeve seeking a daughter. Maeve reached her daughter to find, you know, that it wasn't necessarily the way she thought it was going to be. What's going to happen when Dolores finds her father you know, what's going to happen when the man in black's daughter finds him again? So, yeah, I think that, that these narratives all feel like they are starting to kind of close in a little bit. Right. But still don't know where it goes. It's not predictable in any way. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I can I can speculate and come up with a, a, a ton of different things that could possibly happen, but um, I know that the show will end up bringing about something that I never would have thought of, I'm sure. Right. Uh, and then, of course, we have the train heading to the Mesa. Uh, we're seeing a lot of upshots of Teddy to make him actually, I think, look bigger. I think it's just a trick of the cinematography where they're trying to do a lot of upshots to make him appear, appear more intimidating. Uh, he hands the yeah. bullet to the tech guy before launching the before they launch that train car into the Mesa to uh, set off a little bit of an explosion. So, meanwhile, in the Mesa, we have them getting the maps up, and they discover that the train is on its way. And now we're starting to get that convergence of these stories. But at the same time, um, the fact that they just killed the tech guy, that kind of, for now, kind of locks in and seals the deal that they're not going to be able to change Teddy back. Because, like, right. he had his little control unit thing, and it just went up in flames. Until they well, um, are able to find some other tech guy, maybe. Right. And the other thing that's going on, too, at the same time, is Elsie and Bernard are there in the cradle. Uh, Bernard's still plugged into the cradle. They feel the jolt of the train car come in. So these stories are are, are definitely converging. But at the same time, there is stuff that we already know. We do know that... that QA team is going to get their ass handed to them right. uh, based on what we've seen in some flashbacks and stuff like that. We also know that the cradle is going to be totally destroyed. We don't know who destroys it. We don't know why it gets destroyed. So right. uh, it definitely feels like these narratives are starting to converge. And that's what kind of lands us in this final scene of Bernard walking through Sweetwater, ending up in the Mariposa where he turns to the right-hand side after following a greyhound into the into the Mariposa, and he sees, of course, Robert Ford sitting there playing piano. And thus answers our question that we've had, wondering who that other human pearl was. Do we? I, that's, I think that's exactly what that answered. I don't think that at all. You don't? I think that's no. exactly what that is. Because if Ford's consciousness is in the uh, cradle, 
that's that's what that other little pearl was that's they said that there's another human that they had the consciousness of it has to be ford that's that exactly what yes that's exactly what that was telling us that's how then, i took it then, anyway then why is dolores performing a, a fidelity test on arnold because it makes me wonder whose brain is now inside the body of Bern Arnold. So you think they're gonna they're gonna drop Ford's consciousness into Bernard's body? I think there's gonna be some kind of a struggle that happens. I don't know how, but I'm that's a theory that I have is that when we see Bern Arnold, <laughs> I'm just gonna call him Bern Arnold. Bar- Bernard slash Arnold in that two weeks timeline, he's all looking confused and we don't know what's going on. And we're thinking that there's something that's, that's something's up with him. It's not quite right. It makes me think that it's not Bernard or Arnold's consciousness. That's in that body. It's probably Ford in that body. Because if that, if you just have the consciousness, you could drop that into any body, any host body. It doesn't have to, it doesn't necessarily have to be the yours. You know what I mean? So I don't, I, how that happens, I don't know, but that's, that's what I think is going to end up happening. Yeah. I took it completely differently because, (laughs) Because, well, coming, the only reason that you would create that little pearl thing would be to kind of reincarnate yourself, right? Right. That's that's those pearls kind of seem to symbolize this this concept of reincarnation. But to me, it doesn't make any sense. Like if if Ford were to try to, like, it would be pure narcissism, which I actually think might be the best argument as to why he would, because Ford might be narcissistic enough to think that he could, you know, you know crack the code so to speak and you know achieve the immortality that Delos had been trying to he got there first and he's going to show them because you know he's a genius and he's arrogant and all that other stuff that might be right. the best example for it but he also at the end of season 1 gave that whole big thing about a killing this time by choice and all these great composers they just became music like, it would undercut almost every aspect of what he said in the first season of Westworld. But why else do you think his consciousness would be in the cradle? Or what do you think that is then, if that is not then Ford? Because that's, I mean, that's what the cradle is. is it's the consciousness or it's the data of all of the hosts that are in there. It's the matrix, basically. So he would not be able to be in there if that was not his consciousness data in there. It would have had to have Nothing been uploaded and put in there. No, but that's what yeah, that maybe. that's what that matrix it, thing is, though. It's it that is the data I that think, is the I think record I, that is. That's how they're able to redo um, the Delos guy so many times because it's like your it's brain their is in data. this right. It's in the con- It's in the cradle, and then they just upload it into. They make a new host body. They destroy it. You know, whatever. They just pull it back up into there. So Ford backed up his consciousness. The somehow. Delos thing was the Delos thing was happening completely off the books, though. 
It was happening in a completely different area, in a completely different lab. The Delos stuff had nothing to do with what was going on in the cradle. No, no, no. I'm not saying it has anything to do with the cradle. I'm saying it's the same, the same concept or the same thing that's happening. Not that it was happening in the same place. I don't think I described that properly. But I'm saying that Ford has himself put into the cradle and his body died, whatever, but his consciousness, his backup self is in there. That's what that little pearl was being made for that we saw that was also off the grid away from everything else that Bernard was doing stuff with because Bernard was doing the bidding of Ford all of this time. And Bernard is remembering that he's, I've been here before. I was helping somebody. I don't know what I was doing. Okay. That's, it's all tied in with Ford. Then how does that tie into the fidelity test that, that Dolores is doing earlier in this episode? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't work out that part of my theory just yet. Because trying to try, maybe he is trying to, because I don't know how Dolores, where she comes into it. Right, because um, here's the curveball. Here's the curveball that's sitting out here. Yeah. I don't believe, I, I, I think it's possible that those scenes with Bernard slash Arnold and Dolores, that fidelity test that she's giving him. I'm not certain that's really happening in the real world. I think that may be happening within the cradle itself. Oh. Because okay. the clue, the giveaway, is the change in aspect ratio. Yeah. The aspect ratio, you'll notice inside the cradle, is different. Uh-huh. Aspect ratio changes to the same aspect ratio that those shots of Dolores and Bernard slash Arnold. They're the, those are the same aspect ratio. So that visual change seems to imply that those, yeah. those events are taking place in the same area, possibly, which could be within the cradle itself. But what would be the point of doing that fidelity test within the cradle? Like, what? Why? Well, maybe... It is something that Ford was working on while William was working on it for James Delos, and Ford just got to it first. And maybe it was easier to do the fidelity test within the cradle itself as opposed to building a host. So Ford was already practicing in Bernard's body? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the that maybe that by conducting the fidelity the fidelity tests within the cradle itself is a more cost effective way and not even more cost effective but maybe a more efficient way to determine whether or not you can bring somebody back that way. Right. It's essentially it's essentially instead of building a simulation Running right. a computer simulation. Instead of building right. a mock-up, running a, compu- a computer simulation. Right. Interesting. But I honestly don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, I, I'm not, I I not. like your theory that it could be Ford's consciousness that's been uploaded into the cradle. But 
to what end? Because we know the cradle gets destroyed. So does that mean that they then swap out his consciousness then into, or his, I'm, I'm sorry, they call it developed mind. They copy that and then drop it into Bernard, and now Bernard is Ford? Yes. That's what I think. Yeah, I just still don't quite buy it. Only because, only because the Bernard in the two weeks later timeline does not seem like Ford at all. He's disoriented. He's staying really quiet and very observant, which is something that when, when Ford was confronted with things like, remember when, um, Charlotte Hale, uh, was it Charlotte? Yeah, I guess Charlotte was part of it. But when they were setting up that fake, like, um, scene to show that, um, oh my god, what's her face from the Mariposa? I can't think of her name right now. The saying that she was really violent and, like, they were trying to, um, show that there was the problem with the hosts and Ford just sat there and didn't say anything. And it was like, why is yeah. he not saying anything? Why is he not defending Arnold? So that's what I'm kind of seeing in that two weeks timeline with Bern Arnold or uh, Bernard Arnold Ford, possibly. <laughs> I'm adding that now. Um, just being quiet, being observant, not saying anything, letting everything play out around him. And then he swoops in later on. Hmm. You know what I mean? I it's I it's don't possible. Know. It's possible. It is possible. I'm not fully convinced, but then again, I'm not fully convinced of anything anymore with this show. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's why I like this show so much, and um, why I'm so baffled when there's people like I had a friend of mine that posted something about uh, saying that this season has been really boring. And I'm like, I don't think we're watching the same show. Because yeah, I, I have found, found it boring in the least. No, and this is one of those shows that you can't just watch it at face value. Like, it's so much deeper than that, and it's so intricate and interwoven, and, you know, with these intermingling timelines that are presented to us each week, and it's basically each episode is a tiny little puzzle piece, or a bunch of puzzle pieces and you don't know how these puzzle pieces fit together just yet. And it's like somebody looking at a bunch of random puzzle pieces and not knowing what the final picture is and being like, eh, I don't get it. And moving on, right. you know, and not wanting right. to put the pieces together. So, I mean, the, I just can't fathom how anybody thinks that this is boring. I can understand why somebody maybe doesn't understand what's happening. Because I've seen a lot of that, too. But that's why I love it. I love being able to try and figure this stuff out. And watching the episodes multiple times and being able to pick out something or make these other connections with other episodes as they unravel and, you know, opens up possibilities and things before that you didn't realize. And, oh my god, I love it. It's a roller coaster ride. And uh, I, I, I love this episode so much. Yeah, and it looks like we've got a lot of crazy stuff that's going to be coming down the pike here in the next uh, few episodes here that we're looking at. Uh, so I'm curious to see where we go, but I think this has been a really, really great 
bit of story up to this point. So I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I think we're heading in a, in a pretty crazy direction with the last four episodes. All right, so you guys have heard our thoughts on Westworld Season 2, Episode 6, Face Space, but we'd like to hear yours as well. So hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdFlixChill. You can also subscribe on iTunes or listen on Stitcher to get all of our other podcasts. Uh, and if you are listening on one of those platforms, throw us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. We wanted to thank all of you guys for listening to us. As always, you can find us at lrmonline.com. Uh, and join us for next week's recap, which should be coming up very soon. We were a little bit late getting this one out, no doubt about it, but uh, I was traveling a bit. So, uh, till next time, everybody, may the force be with you because the night is dark and full of terrors. <laughs>